Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Sponsored by McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Change Leaders. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, Brazilian ballerina and activist Ingrid Silva talks to me about building resilience and defying gravity. Ingrid's journey from Rio de Janeiro to New York City was full of challenges. From cutthroat competition and the physical demands of dance to navigating a brand new culture while learning to speak English, nothing came easy. As the obstacles compounded, Ingrid reached a breaking point, but her mother's unwavering confidence kept her going. How did you know that I would become something? We, we didn't know. We didn't know. I didn't know. At the hardest moment of my life, here I am wanting to quit and knew at every cost, still believing that I was going to be something. How did you know? Hi, Ingrid. Hi. (laughs) I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I have been a huge fan of yours over the past couple of years. I was going back through our um, Instagram messages and I messaged you in like June or July of 2021. And I just told you how inspired I was by you. And your response was like, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. So I already knew that you were, you know, a sister in gratitude like myself. Um, but I was trying to think I couldn't see um, what it was that I was saying that I was inspired by. And I think I realized I saw a video of you pregnant uh, uh, still training and still dancing when you were pregnant with your daughter, Laura. And I just was like, who is this beautiful black woman who is dancing on her tippy, tippy toes, eight months pregnant? Who is this? (laughs) Like, I have to know her. I need her to be in my orbit. And since then, um, We've been connected on Instagram and we've supported one another. And I'm just so grateful to get to know you better, to share more of you with our listeners and dig into your story because I think you're just incredibly beautiful, wonderful, and fascinating. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, This is so exciting. 
Um, like you said, I've been a fan of yours for quite a long time. And I've been admiring your work and seeing how you have been representing all of us. Thank you for inspiring me. Aw, thank you, Ingrid. Well, let's keep inspiring one another during our yes. chat. Let's do it. All right, before uh, we get into it, get into it, let's start with some icebreaker questions. So what's your favorite thing about New York City? My favorite thing about New York City, can you imagine, is the people. Ah. Crazy enough is the people. That's the, the people make New York what New York is. I love that. Yeah, you know, I always say when I when I go to New York, I it invigorates me. Soon as as soon as I touch down, uh, I am automatically just filled with energy and happiness, and uh, I feel like I can do anything. It's like this magical place for me. So I love when I have the opportunity to go to New York for work. I don't live there. I live in LA. But whenever I get to go there for work, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Um, so I'm with you. I think there, you know what it is too, Ingrid? I think there's a pace to New York that mm -hmm. it can feel overwhelming. But if you really like succumb to it and allow yourself to really like become one with New York City and its people, then it really does propel you. It really does give you an energy that like no other city can. So I am 1000% with you. Um, okay, Ingrid, so let's start at the beginning. Um, when you think of home, what is one of your like fondest memories of growing up in Rio? So I've been very, very like, Ever since I was a young girl, I've been very energetic, you know. Um, I used to play with my friends. My childhood, I'm so blessed. It was very, very amazing. Um, I've always played outside. I've always had a lot of friends. Um, used to come home in the afternoon and like, oh, mom, I played a lot. It was, it was really amazing. I think I built a relationship um, in my childhood that really helped me grow and become who I am today as with sports. And I think that was really able to, to connect me with everything that I do now um, because I've been always very energetic, been doing many sports since I was little. I think that really, really helped everything. I think one of the my most vivid memories that I have, it's like my first dance performance. Mm, what age? That was, I think I was like 10 Oh, it was okay. so, it was so special. And I feel like all the energy, you know, when you're like hype all the time, I was like, wow, <laughs> now it's time to focus. You know, I need to focus. Um, it, it was really, really, really exciting for me to see that there was a different space and time in my life where I had to go up on stage. And I've been always, so now we can talk about it. I'm very like, you know, extrovert. I talk to everybody. I'm very social. But when I was very young, I was very shy. Uh, mm. used to be in a corner a lot. I would, do, I would go in the center of the class to take steps and do a few stuffs here and there. But I was just very, very nervous about everything. And I remember my first dance class was the icebreaker. But my first performance, that's what meant a lot to me because I chose a career that it's very exposed. You know, we are always mm -hmm. watched by anyone and everyone. And I was like, how am I going to make this happen if I'm always scared of something? And then when mm -hmm. I step on the stage, I think everything changed for me from that day on. Oh, wow. 
Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Okay, so let's get into that, Ingrid. When you look back, what do you think? Why do you think you were so shy? Like before that, I mean, who who were you before that dance performance? You right, you were this shy girl, and then something mm-hmm. about this dance performance, you had to give yourself at ten years old, which I'm fascinated by. You were able to give yourself this pep talk at ten years old, like, okay, you got to get it together if you want to do this. You you can't be as shy. But when you look back over your life, why do you think you were maybe that shy? I mean, I think there were a lot of things that happened. So honestly. I think I was able to find my blackness and my identity when I moved to New York. Mm. And I think that's something really special that I will always cherish because even though Brazil has a lot of diversity, um, it's this second place after Africa who has more black people in the world. I've never felt seen by anyone or part of a space. Um, I was bullied a lot. Um, my hair never fitted, my lips never fitted, my body never fitted. And I think that was part of why I was shy. You know, I, I wanted to be in the dance space, but not really. You don't really have to see me. I can just be there. And once I joined dance, I found, marce- I found myself more free. You know, when I stepped on stage, I was myself, no matter what anybody thought. And I think that to me, at the, at the first beginning, when I was very young, it was like, you know, when you build your identity, you build who you are, you build your actions. It was just so untouchable for me at that moment. And I think that's why I was very shy. Mm, so you experienced, you know, to me, what sounds like racism and discrimination and, and, yeah. um, and, and it's really interesting you say that because you're right. I think about Brazil and I think a lot of the people I see that are from Brazil look just like you and me. So is it maybe, was it where you grew up specifically or is it just that the darker you are, um, the curlier your your hair, the tighter your curls, that just like everywhere else in the world, you're still not as loved or accepted as people that are lighter or maybe have looser curls, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, Mm. I think it's a combination of both. So ever since I started school, I've danced and I study at places that were majority white. So ballet, for example, is predominantly white. So I was the only one at that point. My brother danced with me, so he was also uh, there. But there were many instances that we would like separate each other and go to different classes. So then he would be the only one and I would be the only one. Um, in school, I could see that there were a little diversity, but not as much. And then so again, I was the only one. Um, I think colorism also played a huge part of it. But I just think it was it was more like, you know, when you were young and you experienced racism, but you don't know if that's what it's like. And then later on, when you grow, you realize, wow. 
this is what I went through, you know? And I feel like a lot of us probably now have those realizations. And so I think that that's what really happened. Mm. So you said your first performance that really changed your life was at 10 years old. When did ballet enter your life and how was it presented to you? Yeah. So um, I come from a family that's a very simple family. Um, my mom was a maid. She didn't do, she didn't go to school for a long time. She comes from the farms in Brazil, a different state than Rio. And then she came to Rio to find herself a better life. My dad um, was also in Rio. He was born there in the military. And then finally they fall in love with each other. And then they have me and my brother. Meanwhile, my mom's side of the family didn't have much study as my dad's side of the family, but she wanted a better life for me and my brother. Um, we were very energetic, always been involved with sports. I started swimming when I was six months old. Mm-hmm. Um, I was part of a swimming team went to pre-Olympics in Brazil, um, did athletism when I, uh, runner, I did a lot of running. Um, I did a lot of gymnastics. I experienced all kinds of gymnastics. I played soccer, basketball. And then at the last moment of my life, when I thought I could never do any more sports or art, a neighbor of ours stopped by one day and mentioned to my mom, hey, there is a dance community project opening. Would you like to enroll her? And my mom never been to a theater in her life. Mm. I'm pretty sure she didn't even know what ballet was. Wow. Ever. And then she was like, well, yeah, I'll take her. So she took me to the ballet class. It's not like in the movies. I didn't have any dance gear or pink Mm. skirt and tights and all this stuff. I went barefoot with whatever she had on me. Um, I remember the teacher asking me to point my toes and hold my chest and extend my arms. Mm -hmm. And she was like, wow, you are very talented. Mm. And that was the first step. That was the first step. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I knew I was moved by being there. Mm. but I didn't know exactly what it was. And that first day really caught me. I was like, oh, mom, this is so fun. I get to jump and turn. And she's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're going to learn that in class. And I think that's how I started. Wow. I'm just so touched and moved by, you know, the kindness of community. Like Mm -hmm. that neighbor in many ways changed your life. She could have been like, she could have not taken the time to come next door and, and, and mention it to you all. She could have said, oh, maybe they'll find out about it on their own. But she took the time. And in my opinion, God sent her to your door and said, this girl has got to be doing ballet. And also just the strength of a mother who's like, I don't even really know what this is, but I want my daughter to experience every opportunity she possibly can in in this life. And now look, she's at the theater all the time watching her baby girl shine and be one of the best in the world. Like to me, that's such a story of, like I said, community and a mother's love. And I'm very, very touched by that. I, I, I really am. Now a word from our sponsor. 
For more than 65 years, McDonald's has been investing in black leaders who are taking steps today to own tomorrow. Like through their newest program, McDonald's 2023 Black and Positively Golden Change Leaders. This campaign shines a light on 10 young black leaders who are inspiring and positively impacting change in their communities and beyond. Like Justice for Black Girls founder Breonna Baker, who cultivates student activism and policy work, develops curriculum that combats the misrepresentation of black girlhood, and provides monetary relief for black girl activists. And Camille Bridgewater, co-founder of First Generation Gems, a nonprofit supporting students of color with mentorships and material aid. All year long, McDonald's is supporting their efforts and helping boost their profiles, including granting $20,000 to each change leader. Because when you have the courage to start something, you can change everything. McDonald's also continues to foster the black community year-round in more ways too like through awarding scholarships to HBCU students and forming impactful partnerships with organizations like Boys and Girls Club of America. Learn more at mcbchangeleaders.com and follow on Instagram at wearegolden. Back to our conversation. Um, tell me when you knew you were good. Like, when did you know, like, okay, I, I'm pretty good. I'm looking around and these girls are great. But I'm really good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is amazing for you to ask because, honestly, um, so I come from that place that I was very shy, right? And then mm-hmm. so when I look back, confidence for me, it's something that also came when I came to the States. Like, ah. New York has definitely built me. I didn't know that I was good. And sometimes, mm. even now, honestly— I doubt myself a lot. I don't think I'm good enough that I have a lot of things to work on. And um, I don't know. It, it's such an interesting place for me. And and it's amazing because no one ever have asked me that. I think you were the first mm. person ever. So oh, it wow. makes me think a lot. Yeah. So when um, so after I joined this group, this dance class, um, I got invited to dance in a place called Teatro Municipal do Rio which is a big dance school in Brazil. I got to work with Deborah Koke, which is a huge contemporary choreographer. And I got to work with uh, Grupo Corpo, which is also an international Brazilian dance company who dances everywhere. After these two opportunities, I was able to um, work with Betania Gomez, who was a prima ballerina dance theater of Harlem back in mm. the day. She's the one also who came in the room and looked at me in the corner of the room and said, she's very talented. Let's send her an audition video. So then in 2007, we sent an audition video to Dance State of Harlem and Arthur Mitchell was alive then. And he is the one who took a chance on me. Mm. You know, when you see the rock that it needs to be clean to shine. I think I was that rock And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful he took the chance to Mm. take the time to see me, to see my talent. And then so in 2008, when I stepped my foot at the city of Harlem and I opened that door and I saw many people that look like me, that was the moment I realized I was there and I was good. And I worked so hard to be the place that I was and I deserve it to be there. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of moving pieces around, which was English. Like we could never be able to have this conversation before because I didn't speak English. Yes. Wow. Ingrid. Yeah. Wow. It was 
it was my first, first experience outside of Brazil was coming straight to New York. And I would come to the dance classes and just be like smiling, like, yeah, no, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I couldn't <laughs> speak at all. I just knew the ballet steps. And then I think the confidence really came in me when I, I was like, wow, my story is one in a million. I know many people doesn't have this opportunity, but for me to be able to cross the ocean and to be here, this is what I deserve to be. Like it, it meant to be for me to be here. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think that's kind of the answer for like, when you knew you were good, which is something that I'm still working on. Yeah. I will get there. I will get there. Yeah. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. How old were you when you moved to New York and joined the Dance Theater of Harlem? I was 18 years old. So yeah, you had only 18. really been studying ballet for eight years? Ten or so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. 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 And you know, I, because I've always lived in America and I've Mm -hmm. always, you know, English has always been a first language. I sometimes um, forget how we are also a country where so many people um, migrate to and, and they move here and English is not their first language and how, tough and alienating that might feel, you know what I mean? And how, you know, you're already dealing with being homesick, I'm sure, and being Mm -hmm. so far away from home, but also not being able to understand anybody around you. What did that feel like? Like, so you're in the midst of living your dream, but you don't know what anybody's saying around you. And and you're and while you're you're working at continuing to be really great at your craft in ballet, you're also having to work, I'm sure, behind the scenes on just learning English. So what was that season of your life like? It was crazy. I yeah. can honestly say that. Um well, first, I knew this was a great opportunity and definitely would change my life. I knew that. I can tell you that I was really scared, was very uncertain. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. And I also didn't know what to expect. I had no friends when I moved to New York. Um, I only knew that I was going to the state of Harlem straight from the airport to the school. So mm-hmm. I came from like GFK, took all those trains. You can imagine, I've never taken them. Mm-hmm. I was guided by people. I would just show them like my the paper and I would show them like, this is the address I have to go yeah. in my own way. And mm-hmm. then they just guided me. I've learned a lot from the moment that I didn't speak English at all to the moment of communication. Like communication is key in every single way in the world. Even if you don't speak the common language, you were able to mimic, you were able to talk, you were able to make your way through. Um, People always ask me how I learned English. Um, I learned via, like, I went to courses. 
Um, but it started becoming boring because I was not really learning. I would just repeat words all day for hours. And I was like, I want to talk to people. Like I'm very communicative. So I really wanted to be like in the middle of everybody, talking to everyone. So then my friend Ashley, she was also a dancer at the city of Harlem. And that was the first um, Christmas I spent at her house. She invited me to spend Christmas there with her family in Louisiana. And mm. I didn't speak English at all. And I remember one of her uncles, it was funny what he said. He's like, wow, you don't speak English? But you were black. How you don't speak English? I said, but I'm not from here. Mm. And I would just show him like on Google Translator. But it was so interesting to him that I don't think he also experienced anyone in his life that didn't speak English. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think he experienced. So then for him was also different, but she was like the person who supported me my whole dance career. She was also a prima ballerina at the state of Harlem when I arrived and she guided me through everything. Um, she gave me my first black Barbie at that Christmas. Oh, because wow. I've never had a black Barbie before. Oh, Ingrid, it's so funny you're speaking about Ashley. You have the same name. <laughs> because literally, you're reading my mind. My next question was going to be, who was your first friend? Yes, yeah, she you was got my to first States, friend. Wow, Ashley, what a friend. Yeah, Ashley Murphy. She dances now at the Washington Ballet, but mm. I'm very, very grateful for her. She was my first American friend. I also had Flavia. Flavia Garcia, who's also Laura's godmother. Uh, mm. She also danced in the company. She was Brazilian. And then so I had the both worlds together in that company. And that really, like, that made me survive. And when we talk about a village, and I mean a village, I felt like they were my village at first when I first came. They really guided me through everything I needed to know as a young dancer, joining my first professional company, Mm -hmm. coming from a different place. We know how hard it is for when you start. And I think they were the people who really helped me. Mm. Friendship is everything. Friendship can yeah. save your life. You know, can you imagine? And and also, I'm just thinking about the intentionality of it all. Like, your steps were always ordered. Like, you know, there was no way that God was going to send you to New York and not have people there to support you. And like you said, you had Ashley, who was going to take you to Louisiana and give you this, your first Black Barbie as a Christmas gift, which I'm sure is just such a, it's it'll always be a special memory to you. And you have Flavia, who is someone from home, and and you could see yourself in, and you could feel home in her presence, and wow, and you all, you were all prima ballerinas, like how just amazing, like that's just wonderful. Tell me about a time, if you had one, where you thought, maybe I can't do this anymore. Like, it's it's just too much for me. It's too overwhelming. I'm not happy. And maybe you haven't had this in in your career. Um, I actually had. had, mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually had. So um, I felt like, you know, that music that people... It, it's going to probably sound funny, but it's a reality. You know, when you're like, all my life, I had to fight. Yes. Um, yes. It's, it, I feel like it, resi- it resonates with my life story because 
I've come from a place that everybody was very simple. If I didn't have that dance school who was going to support me, I maybe wouldn't be able to become a dancer. First of all, because this art form is very expensive. So then I sure knew that my mom and my dad wouldn't be able to buy me a pair of ponchos. Either mm. we were able to eat or I would be able to dance. And I'm glad that I had this dance school at first who really supported me and who really paid for my ticket to come to America because that was a huge step too um, and supported me while I was here. Um, and so when I arrived here, I felt very defeated, one because of the language, one because of the culture and because friends and family has been always part of my root. Like I've been always surrounded by family and I know how much does that mean to me. And not having that support for me, it was incredibly hard moving to a new place and leaving those experiences. So um, there were moments in my head when I was young and I, I think back now and I see when you are a young person, you always want things to happen so quickly. You don't know how much time it takes. You don't know how much hard work you have to do it. So you can build your life, um, how much effort it takes. Like everything that you guys see on Instagram now, it's instant for some people. But that's not how life is. You have to really work hard and make things happen from scratch because that's how it takes a journey for someone to become really successful. And mm -hmm. I think that to me at that age was really hard. Now I appreciate it more because I understood the journey I went through. And then so I know how, what it takes your work and what your work really means when you do mm. it. And then um, there were moments that I was like in the back, even learning choreography or doing something. And I was like, they're not looking at me or like, I'm not good enough. Or what do I have to do? You know, New York is very cultural. And I remember a phrase that my mom would always say, um, you can be good, but you have to be amazing in mm. order to be different. She used to say, mm. everybody's good and anyone can be good, but you need to be amazing to get somewhere or somewhere you want to be. And then, mm. so that's how, for me, I started learning about resilience. It doesn't matter what I think. Maybe I wasn't ready then. Maybe I was just good. I wasn't amazing. And then that's what maybe they didn't see me or I needed to be more seasoned or maybe I needed to work on something important or maybe I needed to perfect my craft in order to feel good enough. And then those moments when I felt defeated, I was like, wow, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not good for this. Like I don't have the opportunity. And once I learned how resilience works, I started to building a thick skin and learning that maybe it wasn't just about me, Ingrid. It was about a whole thing that built my path. So when the time came, mm. I was ready, you know? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I really needed to hear that, especially in this season of my life. Everybody deals with this, but especially when you're an artist— you know, 99% of our careers are, we're dealing with, we are dealing with rejection and mm -hmm. we're dealing with no, and we're dealing with mm, maybe next time, you know, that we're hearing that all the time. Uh, we're hearing 
work on this, learn that, uh, perfect this, lose that. Like, that's just what we're hearing all the time. And so it's really nice for me to hear that you're saying, like, I didn't, I, I had to stop taking it personally. And maybe I was just good. I had to work at being amazing. And it, it, I think more so than even in building thick skin, it strengthens your spirit. It, like you said, it, it adds to your resiliency. Who was one of the first people, um, other outside of the dance class, the first dance class you took that you think back, even maybe earlier in your life, that you really felt like believed in you? My mom, definitely. Yeah. She, I feel like she has been my rock since day one. And it probably sounds very cliche because, you know, people are like, well, but your mom, of course, but. When you talk about arts, not every mother is going to support you because, you know, a lot of people want you to be a doctor, a teacher, a journalist, like anything else than just dance. People doesn't even think that dance is a real career. Only if they knew what it took to defy gravity, you mm. know, to defy gravity and to to be able to perform on the stage in front of 2000 people. It's a huge deal. Like, it's not for everyone. And I think my mom has been one of this person that were like, whatever you want to do in life, I'm going to be there for you. And then I think that belief was a huge step. And I remember being here my first year crying a lot. And I was like, mom, I want to go back. And she was like, there is nothing for you here. You have to be there. I'm going to be there with you in the spirit. And I need you to be strong. I think mm. that to me was one of the hardest moments. And it's sometimes I get very emotional because I'm yeah. like, how did you know that mm. I would become something? We, we didn't know. <sighs> we didn't know. I didn't know. At the hardest moment of my life, here I am wanting to quit. And you, at every cost, still believing that I was going to be something. How did mm. you know? I always ask that to her. But deep inside of her, she always knew. I think there's something so beautiful about... I think that she always knew. But I also just think there's so much power in words. Like, just the fact that she continued to say it. Like, that... That... That as a force is very powerful. Just you hearing the person who gave you life saying, you're going to be somebody. You can do this. You are special, my child. I always want to give my parents, um, you know, such love and appreciation and gratitude for just the words that they spoke into me and just not giving up on me. Because had my parents given up on me, we 1,000%. If our parents mm -hmm. gave up on us, we would not be sitting here having this conversation today. No. It doesn't matter how not. much talent we have. doesn't matter how motivated we were. And I think for so many people, unfortunately, that's the difference. That's what changes them being able to leap and defy gravity and go for their dreams because the people that they trust the most and love the most aren't able to give that back to them. And we know that it's based in fear, right? It's just that they're scared. Yeah. You know, my dad ha has always been so supportive, but he also has been very scared. He just didn't want his baby to, to get hurt, to be broke, to, 
you know, be on the street, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I get that. Now that I'm older, I'm like, I get it. I'm his baby. Yeah. He just was so... They want some happiness for us that it's not going to hurt us. Yeah. And how do we approach that? It's a father's protection. I've told the story before, but like my dad at one point was like, why don't you become an accountant? And I was like, dad, no. I'm not even good at math. <laughs> how would I become an accountant? But I think to him, he was like, you wouldn't have to deal with, with rejection. You could just have your own clients. You're working with some sort of computer program every day, but it wouldn't make me happy. So anyway, yeah. I'm happy that we wiped the tears and said, no, dad, we can do it. So, you know, being an artist, especially, and entering into motherhood is scary because you feel like, and I hate that I'm even going to say what I'm about to say, but you feel like, will I work again? Mm-hmm. Can I work pregnant? Will I still have opportunities pregnant? How much will I change after you know, I give birth. What what will that mean for my career? And so I want you to talk to me about the moment you realized you were pregnant and, and the thoughts that were going through your mind, especially as it pertains, you know, to your life, but to your career and your livelihood. And um, what, before we get into once Laura was born, I want you to talk to me about what motherhood taught you or um, pregnancy taught you. Well, so first of all, I got pregnant um, in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, Mm. I found myself pregnant in the middle of the pandemic um, in the place that everybody was dying. And Mm. I was like, why am I getting pregnant? Like, why am I pregnant now? I questioned that a lot. And I was very, very scared. And the first thought that came to my mind was exactly what you said. Um, What's going to happen now? Like, what is going to be my life now? Am I going to be able to work? Am I going to be able to dance and keep pursuing my dreams? Am I going to be able to fulfill everything that I've worked so hard and plan from now on? Because this is what media and people and sometimes friends sell to you. When you get pregnant or when you have a child, they, people say your life is going to end. And you know what? That's so wrong. And I'm mm. going to just say that because this is not what happens. Mm. To me personally, my life just started. Mm. I found myself in so many different ways that mm-hmm. I've never thought I could. So pregnancy for me was a shock at first. And it was so funny because me and my husband was like, okay, so now what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And then he goes, well, everything happens for a reason. We, we went to do the, the blood test scared and we came back like, we're going to be great parents. Everything's <laughs> going to be fine. She's going to be amazing. And the world is an oyster. Like it was, it was, <laughs> it was such a, like a, a hype moment. And then from that moment on, I was like, you know what? I am going to make a plan. So in my plan and what I've planned for myself was I am going to dance my whole pregnancy because if this is going to be the last time of my life I'm dancing, Mm. I am going to dance. And then so Betania Gomez moved to the States um, in 20... 
2010 or so. And she became a teacher at the Institute of Harlem School. And she was the person who first discovered me back when I was sharing my story. Mm. Um, she was there with me my whole pregnancy. One, because she's a dancer. And one, because she also became my coach. So we work together all the time when I'm doing ballets or when I have a role to do. She's always coaching me. And she designed ballet for mothers or while you are pregnant. So she created uh, the method for ballet while I was pregnant. So she designed the classes specifically for each month that I was pregnant. And I danced until 39 weeks. I did point as well. Crazy me. It was super <laughs> fun. Do not do that if you are not a dancer. If you don't feel that you should mm-hmm. do it, if your body permits you. This is very important. Each person is different and you don't have to be like everyone else. You are you. And then so um, she designed the classes for me. I took the classes. I felt very connected to myself. Um, I really love being in my environment. And I took the time to be there, to build lore inside of me. Um, I felt like I brought her into my journey. You know, when you are a mom mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, now your life changed. You're going to have to do everything your kid needs. And to me, has always been the opposite. I'm including mm-hmm. you in my life. So this is how things work in my journey yes. and how that's going to work for you as well. I had a huge and beautiful opportunity when I had Laura to come back to work to do the blessing, which is dance and makes me me who I am and makes me happy. Um, I got to take her all over the world with me. So she's been traveling with me since day one. And she has been teaching me so much when we go on tour. She doesn't go anymore because now she's going to turn three. And I'm preparing myself and my heart for that 3K that's coming in September. <laughs> Which I think it's going to be a new world for me. But she has teaching me much about love and how I see my relationship to other friends and how I see them now as not just a friend, but how I see them as a mother. Now I know how this person behaves this way. Mm. Now I see how this person speaks this way and then how the world treats us. Like I have a much broader view as a mom and as a person than I had it before. Mm. Ingrid, what has been your takeaway from our conversation today? Well, our takeaway has been, um, I mean, I think village, it's something really important that we have to cherish. I'm very, very grateful for my family. I'm very grateful for Laura. I'm very grateful for my friends. They, mm-hmm. my real friends and my small circle of friends, because I think the older I get, it gets smaller and smaller. Yep, it does. <laughs> and it's completely fine. It's completely fine because that's what I needed. And I think love and comprehension, you know, like when you hear people's stories or when you resignate with people's stories, there is so much for, for you to, for you to take from you. And one thing that I always take from dance is when you step on that stage, either the real stage with full lights or the stage of life, there is nothing to prove only to share. And your journey is unique as you on earth, because there is no one else 
they like you. So mm. then you just have to live your truth the way you your instincts guide you and you want to be. Just be yourself and enjoy the journey. Yeah. My takeaway is one, just you're just magnificent. And you are just such a special woman. And I'm so grateful to know you and to have you in my orbit. Uh, but it's also that, you know, you said, you talked about defying gravity, which is one of my favorite songs from the musical Wicked. <laughs> but it made me think like, I can, I can, and I, I have defied gravity and I will continue to defy gravity. I just have to believe that I can. And I have to mm -hmm. continue to surround myself with people that see me doing it before I even get up in the air. You know, like that is so important. And just hearing you say that um, is something that will probably always stick with me. Uh, so I just really appreciate you, Ingrid. Um, I love you. I honor you. And I thank you so much um, for this conversation. And I, again, I just can't wait to, to hug you in real life. <laughs> thank you so much for opening your space, giving me the opportunity. I think there is a moment that I will share forever. I'm such a fan of you. Oh, and I confess, you. I was very, very nervous. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe like, I'm going to see you. And then just having this conversation, I think it really, really, really made my day. Thank you so Aww. much. Thank you, sis. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. Our managing producers are Fatima El Swiffy and Paulina Velasco. Shanice Tindall is our lead producer. Associate producer is Mona Hassan. Jordan Thompson is our marketing coordinator. This episode was mixed by Trin Lightburn. Michelle Baker is our video editor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.